Welcome to True Talks, an honest and open look into the challenges we all face every day dealing with God, family, and others. Now, here's Pastor Tim Buttry, founder and CEO of True Relationships. Last week, we started a new series called Dead Serious. Pastor Gill opened this series up by really unveiling, unpacking the idea of discipleship. I mean, that's really what following Jesus is all about. Discipleship obviously has as its root the word discipline. Um, we're disciples. We are committed. We are involved. We, we are to be doing what God called us to do. And so there's a lot involved with that. And uh, this idea of discipleship is really something that he helped us understand. And Jesus described it as taking up your cross and following him. So he really spent last week helping us understand what that looks like in our daily lives. I have the privilege of bringing to us the the second concept in this dead serious series, and that is on the idea of being dead serious about loving God. Um, Worship group, the, the band was in the office beforehand, just kind of debriefing and everything, and Aubrey mentioned the fact that we have a lot of songs about how much God loves us, like the song we just sang, which is a great song and certainly reminds us of what God has done for us and how much He does love us. But there are a few songs about loving God, when loving God is really the first and foremost commandment. So we're going to look at that. What, is, what does it look like to love God? What, what, is, what does God mean? What did Jesus say when he talked about us being able to love God? What does that look like? Well, clearly, there are dozens of passages of Scripture that I could have drawn from. And I spent a lot of time looking at every single one of them and trying to discern what was it that was the most practical, uh, perhaps the simplest Not necessarily the easiest for us to uh, grasp, but to put into action. So the first one that I'd I'd like us to look at is, um, you know, what are the characteristics of one who loves God? Um, In our home, uh, when our kids were growing up, and still to this day for me and Linda, but while we had the kids in the house, we said, I love you all the time. Um, I know there are a lot of homes that there that, that just isn't the case. I think it'd be great if you changed, but no, that's not my business. Um, we need to hear that, and what I've come to realize is that um, God wants to hear it as well. He's in a relationship with us. He's a relational God, and He wants to hear that we love Him. Yeah, we love hearing how much He loves us, and we celebrate that, but. We don't always identify how much God wants to hear from us. So we, we, um, we said, I love you a lot in our home. Our daughter, Rachel, uh, she's our affectionate one. She loves people, loves life. I remember when she was a little girl, she was praying a prayer one day, and she prayed for all of her friends all over the world. Well, I don't know if she had any outside of our little town, but nevertheless, she knew that she loved people. Well, one of the things that Rachel started to say when we'd say, I love you, to her, she would chime back with this phrase, I love you more. 
And as a dad, I'm thinking, there ain't no way, baby. But I didn't, I didn't correct her because I understood her heart. I understood what she was trying to say to us. In fact, now that phrase is quite popular. We've got them on pillows and uh, wall hangings in our house that I don't know that they existed back then. Maybe Rachel started it and she should be getting royalties. I don't know. But uh, nevertheless, she was the first one we knew that said, I love you more. And we understood that it was indicative of her heart toward us that she was telling me and Linda that she loved us more than her friends, more than her toys, and definitely more than her brother. The verse that was introduced as the theme of this series is found in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15. And it says this, Christ's love compels us. I love that word. I'm going to point out another word in another passage later on that I love, and I think that deserves being underlined. But this is one of them. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live, that's you and me, those of you who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. This is a great theme for what this series is all about, especially as we go through Lent and we prepare our hearts for Easter. That verse certainly fits in with the whole idea of Easter, but it reminds us that we also have an obligation or a response ability to what Jesus did on the cross, and that is for us to love others. This I love you more idea that our daughter Rachel started in our home, I, I recognized it as what I would call a heart set. I think you know what a mindset is. Uh, it's, it's a way of thinking. It's, it's something that's kind of uh, automatic. Uh, it's something that you've been so intentional about that it's almost like what we call a knee-jerk reaction. Not that it's not meaningful or that it doesn't come from a place of value, but it's not something you have to think about. It's a mindset. Well, I like to think of this love you more idea as a heart set. A heart set is, is an emotional posturing a set of values that causes us to let our heart, the compass of our heart, always be pointing to true north. Jesus wants our heart set to be positioned on Him. When faced with a myriad of options and obligations, our hearts will always say to Jesus, I love you more. This heart set is captured in one of the hard sayings. We, we refer to it as one of the hard sayings of Jesus because there are several of these that are just so profound, that, that rock our world, that sometimes when we hear them, we say, what? Seriously? We're supposed to do that? How can we do that? This is one of those sayings, and it's found in... Sorry. Oh, yeah, I, I had another thing I wrote down. Forget that. Let's just go on. Matthew 10, 37 and 38. 
It says, if you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Now, you can see why I call that a hard saying. What? If you love your father or mother more than you love me, this is Jesus speaking, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. Wow. Everybody take take a deep breath. Kind of wipe your brow on that one. That one's like, seriously? I mean, my son or daughter? That I'm not supposed to love them the way... It's It's a hard say. Here's why. It's what we know in grammar as a hyperbole. Jesus is exaggerating his statement to make a point. He's raising the bar. He's setting the standard. In essence, Jesus is saying this. Look, I know this sounds extreme to you, but here's what I know. You will never be able to love others the way they need and the way that I want unless you love me first and foremost. So Jesus is not saying not to love your parents or not to love your children, but he's saying in comparison... The love that you have for them should be so far less than the love you have for Jesus. And the reason Jesus wants us to love him first and foremost is because loving him helps us to love others. So this is not some selfish uh, statement that God, through Jesus, is making to us. He's he's not being um, self-centered when he asks us for this. He is saying this because he knows that we can only love others the way that we need to, the way they need to, the way God wants us to, if and only if we love God first. So, what are the criteria by which one ascertains whether they actually love God? I told you there were a lot of passages Many, I suppose, qualifications, things that we can identify that proclaim, that uh, that say we love God. But there were a couple that really stuck out to me that I felt needed to be presented this morning. And so I think it would be a great Bible study, a word study for you to go home after this morning and do a, a word search in your Bible, in the concordance or in the Bible app, um, and, and just do a search for love God. And you'll find so many different passages, Old and New Testament alike, that define what it means to love God and what the people are like who do so. So, what are the criteria? The first one is this. If you are dead serious about loving God, you will love people. Now, now that almost sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it, to what we just read that Jesus said. If you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. So what is being said here? I think what's being said is this idea of that you can't love people the way that they need to be loved because we are ultimately sinful and self-centered and focused on our own needs. And if we're going to truly love people, even our father and mother, even our son and daughter, 
our children, we must have the love of God in our hearts, and we must prioritize that love over any other. I'm grateful for my mom and dad and the upbringing that they had for us. I can remember my mom saying, uh, we don't listen to what other people say. I don't read Dr. Spock. And I'm not talking about Star Trek, okay? Some of you... Dr. Spock was a psychologist back in the 60s who told parents how to raise their kids. Well, she thought it was a bunch of, in her, in her words, a bunch of hooey. And her statement was, the way we raise our kids, we listen to the Holy Spirit. i got to give him credit. She put her priority, she put her trust, she put her hope. They put their hope in Jesus to tell them how to love us, me and my brother. And so that's really what I'm presenting to you, is when it comes to loving others, particularly your own family, I believe that you can only do that well if you love God. Let's look at Matthew 22. One of the teachers of the law wanted to kind of throw Jesus for a loop. And he asked him this question, question, thinking that Jesus was not going to be able to answer it. But he asked this question, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Listen to this. This is powerful. A second is what? Equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. Wow. Now, now that's what I call simple and profound. Jesus is telling us here that, well, basically, we if you've studied Scripture at all, you know that the first covenant, the Old Testament, set a series of laws into place that the followers of God, the Israelites during that time, they came up with thousands of rules in order to keep the rules that God set. And they believed that if they kept those rules, it would be an expression of love to God and that God would love them more. The problem was their hearts were dark. They weren't doing it for God. They were doing it for themselves. Jesus called those individuals when he walked this planet, he called them white sepulchers or white tombs. They were uh, whitewashed on the outside to look clean and sterile, but on the inside, they were full of dead bones. So the reality was that that system didn't work. What God intended for them, for us, them to understand was that they could never fulfill it. They needed God. God wanted them to come to him and say, we can't do this, but we love you and we want to do this right. Please help us. And God would have given them the Holy Spirit, just like he did with many Old Testament prophets and leaders. He wanted to give it to all of them. But they thought they could do it on their own. And they lost 
the opportunity to love God because they thought they could do it by fulfilling the law instead of loving the lawgiver. And we often can make the same mistake. So I said that this is what I call simple but profound. I, I don't say it's easy, all right? Even thus, just the two commandments, <laughs> that's hard enough. Can you imagine all the rest? Not only the Ten Commandments, but the other laws that were given for how to eat and what kind of food and all the rest of it. We, we can't do it, but God has made it simple through Jesus. And Jesus says, okay, here, here's the deal. I'm going to make it easy for you. If you will do these two, you're covered. Because everything that comes up in your life, how you treat others, uh, a decision you make about work, uh, I mean, the list could go on and on. Every question you have can be and will be answered in these two commandments. You do according to that. Love God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and love people, and you'll, you'll make the right choice. You'll do the right thing. And you will understand how God works. So, two commandments. To love God and love our neighbor. These two commandments are are like two parts of a whole. Like a violin and a bow. Or a lock and a key. We don't just love God in our hearts. We love Him by loving our neighbor. These two things are connected. These two commands are a unit. Let's look at 1 John 5, 3. Loving God means keeping His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. This could not have been said in the Old Testament. This, this was never stated in the Old Testament because it, wasn't, it wouldn't have been true. The, the commandments were burdensome. That was kind of the point. So that they would not be able to fulfill it and turn to God. Didn't work. So now, the Apostle John writes and says, God's commands aren't burdensome. Do you know why they're not burdensome? Do you know why the commandments in the New Testament aren't burdensome? Because there are only two. And if you love God, I mean, if you've got that one going for you, well, then you've really only got one to worry about. And that is loving others. Romans 13, verses 8 and 9 says this, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not covet. These and other commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Do you hear that? God is basically saying that, you you know, all those Ten Commandments that I gave you, that you make such a big deal about, if you love God, 
and love others, you've taken care of all of that. It will happen out of the abundance of your heart. So, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others. So, love fulfills, love fulfills the requirements of God's law. Uh, I don't know how to make it any better or simpler than God has made it for us that if we love God and love others, we're getting it done. I think sometimes it does help to have a picture in our minds. I'd like for you to watch a video clip from a movie that probably most of you have seen, so this isn't going to be a spoiler, because if you haven't seen this one yet, then I'm not, I'm not going to take responsibility. It's called Schindler's List. And this is at the very end, and I think it makes a very poignant point about others. Let's watch it. Could have gone one more person. 
Karaydın. Karaydın. Wow. Say he was people centered. One more person. Our hearts bent that way. There's an old saying that says, as the twig is bent, so grows the tree. How are we bent? Are we bent towards loving God and others, or are we bent in some other way? How are we going to grow? How are our children going to grow? Are they going to be not only self-aware, but others-centered? How will we teach them that? Unless we are exemplifying that. I'm, I'm convicted by this man. He realized that even in spite of all that he had done, there were more. People need the Lord. People need our touch. People need our wisdom that God has given us. And what are we doing with it? There's a scripture or there's a... There's a, a, a a phrase that is used throughout the Bible. It's used in the Old and New Testament alike. It must have been a popular phrase in Israel. And it simply said this. I think it was really more of a legal term. It was something to do with, you know, like if you got in trouble or somebody was blaming you for something. The statement was, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. So, the, the, the writers of Scripture often use this as a way to say, listen, we, we've got more, it's, this is more than just one person saying this. There are people throughout history that know God that have been saying this. I, I thought it would be helpful if we just had some people, even in our modern era, that were saying this. And out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let it be established. Mother Teresa said, it is impossible to love God without loving our neighbor. Impossible. That's, that's a pretty big word. A.W. Tozer, great theologian and author, said, Let a man set his heart only on doing the will of God, and he is instantly free. If we understand our first and sole duty to consist of loving God supremely and loving everyone, even our enemies, for God's dear sake, then we can enjoy spiritual tranquility under every circumstance. Brother Lawrence said, Loving God and loving one's neighbor are really the same thing. John Ortberg, modern writer. If we are serious about loving God, we must begin with people, all people. And especially we must learn to love those that the world generally discards. And then finally, Francis Chan. Do you know that nothing you do in this life will ever matter unless it is about loving God and loving the people he has made. I hope I've made my point this morning about loving God is about loving people. And to be able to love people 
the way we're supposed to, we must first love God. The second thing, and I won't spend as much time on this, but the second characteristic that I wanted to share with you is people who are dead serious about loving God are grateful for how much God loves them. 1 John 3.1 says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us. That's that other word I was talking about that I'd point out. I remember the first time, I mean, I remember reading this when I was young. And I underlined that word because it overwhelmed me. That God loved me so much that He lavished. That word lavish is, is the idea of just pouring out on us. Like without measuring it, just giving it to us overwhelmingly. Uh, it's referred to like a thunderstorm, a rainstorm, where it just, just comes down. God loves us that way. He lavishes it on us. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. When one truly grasps the the, the width, depth, and height of God's love, the response should be, well, well, I think this story will actually tell it better than I can. Let's, let's look at a story in Luke 7. In Luke 7, there's a really powerful story about a dinner Jesus was invited to by a Pharisee named Simon. I, I can imagine, as I let my mind's eye look at what that dinner must have been like, I imagined that it was a very copacetic, kind of politically correct event. <laughs> until she showed up. The story unfolds with this immoral woman barging into this religious man's sterile dining room, <laughs> clutching a beautiful jar filled with very expensive perfume. In the midst of the confusion... She kneels down behind Jesus. Now, you've got to understand, in, in those days, the appropriate way to, to eat at a dinner table was more uh, oriental style, where they, the table was very low to the ground. They sat on the floor with their feet behind them. So this woman comes in to this dining room, goes behind Jesus, and begins and kneels down at his feet and begins to weep profusely crying her eyes out, literally, on Jesus' feet. And so many tears were on Jesus' feet that the only thing she had to wipe them off was her hair. So she took her hair and she sopped up her tears on Jesus' feet. And then the story tells us that she started kissing his feet, kissing them. And then started pouring this super expensive perfume on his feet. Some scholars believe that the cost of this bottle of perfume was equal to a year's wages. And she pours it out. Are you picking up on the, the drama and the emotion that is captured in that moment? Okay. So now, in your mind's eye, you're, you're 
internal camera pans over to the Pharisee. Okay, He's sitting there at his table. Can you just imagine the look on his face? That pious, disconnected look. And then you get to hear what's going on inside of his mind because Jesus is God, the Messiah. He literally hears what's going on inside of that man's mind and tells us in this story. And in this religious head, he says this, If this guy were the prophet, everybody says he is, he would know what kind of sinner this woman really is. So Jesus, obviously knowing what he had said, told him this story. Didn't answer anything, didn't say anything, didn't say, I read your mind, I know what you're thinking. He just responded. And he told this story. Let's pick it up in in Luke chapter 7, verse 41. He tells him this story. Now, again, understand, Jesus talking to the Pharisee, the one that said, if he really knew who this was, he'd be doing something different. He said, a man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one. Again, in in those days, it was identified that 500 pieces of silver would be worth about... Uh, uh, 15 months of salary. And to another, he gave or lent 50 pieces, which would be about a month and a half's wages. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. As I close, it would be a mistake to assume that the Pharisee didn't have many sins. The difference between the Pharisee and the woman was that Simon refused to acknowledge that he had many sins. And the woman acknowledged the fact that she was a sinner and Rejoiced because this one who had come had the ability to forgive her. That's the only difference between those two. And I don't want it to be a problem for any of you here today that you could leave here like that Pharisee, not acknowledging that you have many sins and that that does not disqualify you from loving God or being loved by God. In fact, it's the thing that sets you up 
for it. Pharisees can have the same joy and gratitude as prostitutes, and many scholars believe this woman with these many sins was just that. They could have the same joy and gratitude as prostitutes if they would only see themselves as no less sinful. Then God's forgiveness and love being lavished on you will make you want, well, as a man, I, I don't know about oil or perfume and wiping tears. So for me, it would probably be more like a 21-gun salute and with really expensive bullets and you know belly laughing until I collapsed. That would be my way of expressing how thankful and gratitude with gratitude that I am for what God has done for me. I believe that those who love God understand what God has done for them through Jesus Christ, and they don't take it for granted. They don't assume they deserved it. They must be like this woman who was broken about her sin and recognized that she needed forgiveness. And that set her apart from the Pharisee. And Jesus identified her as one whose many sins are forgiven. So the question is not, are you or are you not a sinner? You are, I am, unequivocally, most certainly, no ifs, ands, or buts about it, a sinner. Please don't be the only one in this room like the Pharisee who doesn't know that. And the sooner you admit it, the sooner you will be able to say with the utmost of confidence, I love God with all my heart. So that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where all of this comes to. It comes to you personally. Are you the Pharisee or the woman? Are you... A lover of God or a lover of self? We have to make those choices, not just on a Sunday morning, but every day. Every day. Keeping the first and second commandment is keeping all of the law and showing through our lives that we love God. I think the best place to start, if you, if you want a practical place to begin, you can start today. Begin at home. Because if you speak to your spouse disrespectfully, harshly, sarcastically, you, you're in danger of not loving God because how can you talk to his child in a way that is harmful. If you love God, you can't do that. You won't do that. So check our hearts. How you treat your children. Start at home. Practice there. And I think there you're going to begin to experience the love of God in ways that perhaps you never have. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Band, if you want to go ahead and make your way to the platform. With it. Your eyes closed. I just, I just felt so strongly in preparation for this message that I needed to close with you being able to respond. Because the simple fact is, it's simply a decision that we make 
whether or not we're going to love God and love others. And so, if you felt a stirring in your heart this morning, perhaps one of the passages of Scripture or one of the stories or the fact that you may not be treating the ones in your world the way you should and it convicts you that maybe you don't love God the way you should, all I'm asking you to do is be man enough or woman enough to acknowledge that. That's what this place is all about. This isn't about pretending at Grace Crossing Church. It's not about putting on airs. It's not about wearing masks. It's about saying, you know what, I, this, I'm not where I need to be. I don't love God as much as I should because it shows up in the way that I treat others. So, if you're here and there's a stirring in your own heart, it could be a myriad of things. All I want you to do is just quickly, responsibly, just stand up. No one's looking around. I, I, I don't want you to, I don't want to make it easy for you. I mean, if you're serious about this, it, it, Just stand to your feet and say, you know what? I want to start fresh. I want to make a difference. I want to love God with all my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind and strength. And I want to love the people in my world the way I should. Instead of treating them the way my parents treated me, I want to treat them the way Jesus treats me. I want to love them with the love that comes from God, not from a love that I've conjured up in my own mind and heart. But I want to be like Jesus to my children. I want to love them unconditionally. I want to treat them with respect. I want them to want me like God wants me. That's what I want. Thank you. Thank you for responding. Because this is really where it all starts. I mean, I know that the real beginning is asking Jesus into our heart and being forgiven of our sins. But when it comes to discipleship, when it comes to living for God, this is it. This is how we prove it. This is how we show it. By the way that we talk to God and treat others. So let me pray for you, all of you, but especially you that are standing. Because this could be the beginning of a transformation in your whole life. Lord, I pray for everyone that's standing, especially those, because they've responded to something that your Holy Spirit is doing in their heart, something that they heard you say, something that needs to be tweaked, something that's off kilter. They want their hearts to be lined up again with true north, with you. First and foremost, they want to love you the way that you want them to so that they in turn can love others the way you love them. So Lord, I pray your your strength in their hearts and lives, your ongoing work that your Holy Spirit would remind them, because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is there to remind us of what God is saying. So Holy Spirit, remind us when we've stepped over the line, when we've gotten a little harsh, Remind us that that's not the way God is. Help us to love others. Help us to reach out into our community, to to even have people that are called to the world, missionaries, people that get a burden for uh, hurting people, congregations, uh, cities, communities that that are in need. Help us to be those kind of people. I pray it in Jesus' name.
This has been True Talks with Pastor Tim Buttrey. If you'd like more information about True Relationships, just visit us on the web at truerelationships.org or on Twitter at Tim Buttrey or on Facebook at True Plus True.